Thank you. Well, we're in the midst of this sermon series uh, uh, that we've called An Ordinary Christmas. We've looked at the ordinary nature of this woman named Mary. We've looked at the ordinary aspects of this man's life named Joseph. And now this morning, we're going to look at some shepherds together. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Let me pray for us. God, we just ask Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you. God, Christmas is full of so many distractions. Would you give us focus this morning? In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Out in the same region, there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured them up, treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth, O God. December 24th, 1968. Anybody remember that date? December 24th, 1968 was a Christmas Eve unlike any other Christmas on earth because it was the first time in history that we successfully orbited the moon. And on this particular night, the crew of Apollo 8 led a televised program from space that had the largest audience ever recorded. Millions of people tuned in to experience the wonder of this moment as these three men, Frank Borman, Jim, Lavelle, and, uh, Jim Lovell, and Bill Anders had done the impossible. NASA somehow patched these astronauts into the airwaves across the world, and as they made their announcement, the masses clung to every word. As part of the broadcast, every man took a turn, explaining to the best of their ability the lunar sunrise that was unfolding in front of them. And as they painted these pictures of a foreign world that had never been seen before by the naked eye, it seemed as though everything stopped. They wrapped up their broadcast looking back at Earth, and Anders said, we have a, a message for our friends back home. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God divided the light from the darkness, and then Lovell took over. He said, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And then Borman took the mic. And God said, let the waters of the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. No one had ever heard of those words from such a unique perspective. 
And as the three men wished the world a Merry Christmas, the story of a child born to save that world suddenly took on a completely new perspective. Let me ask you, though, just food for thought. What if the news stations had decided to broadcast this famous announcement from the local bar down the street? What if instead of astronauts, they had given the mic to a barkeep to say a few words on behalf of the space program? What if instead of hearing from space, the nation heard from the back corner booth where some random stranger read out the headline? Would it be the same? Would we care as much? Would we still be a bit inspired or would the news lose its luster? And here's why I ask that. I think for the most part, we expect legendary announcements to come from legendary people. Awe-inspiring moments typically come from those who inspire us already with what they do and who they are. I mean, that news that night belonged to the three men that pulled it off. And yet, if you're on board with that, if you agree with that, then our scripture this morning presents us with a really challenging question. Why shepherds? Why would God in all of his wisdom choose random strangers to share the most important announcement that the world would ever receive? Look at this, 2.17. When the shepherds saw Christ, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. God may well have asked a barkeep. See, in Palestinian society, shepherds were far less than ordinary. They represented the outsider life. That they hadn't even made middle class. They were more like the humble or the impoverished class. They were outcasts. And right off the bat, the Gospel of Luke wants us to know two things about these men wandering in the fields. The first is this. They were living outside in open spaces. Did you see that? Verse 8 tells us, There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds spent most of their time apart from society. They they were known as drifters who really didn't understand the culture around them. But their reputation didn't end there. They were also seen as questionable and criminal. They were known to prey on local travelers. Many saw them as unknown, and what we don't know, we fear. Historical documents around the same period called shepherds the craft of robbers. They had no credibility in society whatsoever. And it wasn't always this way, right? In fact, shepherding is one of the oldest professions there is. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd. And yet you might say times had changed. One ancient rabbi from around that time was quoted to have said, there is no more despised profession in the world than than shepherds. The Mishnah and the Talmud put them in the same category as tax collectors and thieves. And the second thing the Gospel of Luke tells us about these domesticated loners is that they kept watch over the sheep at night. And I know we've heard this story a thousand times, yet I think sometimes we forget what that looked like. Shepherds were hermits dwelling in darkness. They were more comfortable with the stars than they were human beings standing around them. In fact, Pharisees mocked the lifestyle of these Men, because they couldn't even keep normal hours or honor the Sabbath. And with all that, you would think that the greatest headline ever to come to earth would be given to anyone, anyone but a shepherd. How about a king or a Pharisee? How about a Roman guard or a governor? 
But it's the shepherds who hear this message of Christmas before anybody else. And from these less than ordinary lives comes the mouthpiece of the Christmas story. It was quite literally a fulfillment of Isaiah in chapter 61 when he foretold of a good news proclaimed to the poor. So God's word tells us the shepherds ran to Bethlehem as in they made haste. They sprinted, they left everything behind, their livelihoods, everything they knew because they were promised something. The angel said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And there was Mary and Joseph and a baby boy, just as the angel had said. And the same guys who a local court won't even view as witnesses are the first to speak the greatest news the world ever knew. God's word says they made it known. Now let's just pretend for a minute that this is the first time we've heard this story. With, with all that context, let's suppose that we don't really know how this ends. How would you see this playing out? Because if the Apollo mission broadcast from a local bar suddenly lost all of its luster, then how does a rural shepherd in the midst of first century Palestine pull this off? Anybody remember the boy who cried wolf? Anyone? I'm going I'm to make a suffer through the story again, so humor, humor me for a minute. A shepherd boy sits on a hillside with his flock, and he's lonely, so for fun he screams out wolf. The villagers, they hear his cry, so they come running with pitchforks and torches ready to get it done. But what happens? There's nobody there. There's no wolf. So they scold him with a warning. They head back home. But the second night, the second night rolls in, the boy can't help himself. This time he sounds the alarm by banging on doors and ringing the town bell. And again, the people come screaming out to save the day, but they've been duped a second time. They can't believe the deceit of this child, so they tell him, you're on your own, you're done. Forget this. And then comes the third night. And just as the boy begins falling asleep, he sees this massive gray wolf prowling through his flock. And behind him emerged from the woods an entire pack ready to devour what was his. And so the boy screams at the top of his lungs, crying for anyone to listen, but despite his pleas, no one comes. That was the credibility of a shepherd in first century Palestine. When you try to put logic in this equation, it doesn't make sense. Shepherds had no standing. They were the trash heap. Nobody but a sheep listened to a shepherd. And even if you did, you certainly took their words with a grain of salt. It's a fascinating thread, I think, that's woven into this Christmas story of ordinary, even less than ordinary people being caught up in the swell of Christ. I mean, how is it really that God would entrust shepherds with that kind of news? I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter one, and we're going to look at verse 27 and 28 and 29, because I think God's word explains this phenomenon really well there. You can also see it up on your screens. Let's go to that. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 27. This is what God's word says. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And now we begin to see the bigger picture. 
See, it seems to me that God loves a, a comeback story, that, that God delights in a story of redemption and a story of hope. And I say he delights in it because he's the author of it. This entire concept is countercultural. It's not only countercultural, it's counterintuitive. No one in their right mind would give their marketing campaign to the local letdowns. And yet, this is God's story. It's a story that you and I are a part of where God takes the misfits and the pariahs and the recluse and the filthy, lonely strangers and through an inconspicuous voice comes the greatest announcement the world has ever heard. And by God's wisdom, long before there was the instant fame of the internet, he takes a no-name poor boy shepherd and makes the good news go viral. When was the last time you told someone about the Christmas story? In 1993, Barna Research took a poll of Christians nationwide and they were asked this simple question. Is it the responsibility of every Christian to share their faith? At the time, 83% of those polled said yes. This was in 1993. 83%, that's pretty good. Jesus couldn't get that, that same ratio to show up at the cross. That's not bad. But last year, they asked the exact same question. 2018, and the number dropped significantly. Only 60% said yes. That's a little over half of all Christians who believe that the good news is something we keep to ourselves. But then let me dig a little bit deeper because when asked what keeps us from sharing our faith, these were the top three answers. Relationship, repetition, and rejection. Relationship, repetition, and rejection. Many said it was relationships. They said, really, sharing my faith can only be effective if I'm in a really tight relationship with someone and I have that cultural capital. That might be true. But others said it was repetition. They argued, well, we've all heard it before. Non-Christians who have heard this story, they don't want to hear from me again. They get annoyed with that. And the third and probably the most relevant, I think, in our day and age is rejection. Many remarked that it was if they shared their faith with their non-Christian friends, they'd be ousted, rejected, and their friendship would be gone. I still remember the first time that I made an attempt to share my faith. Um, I had drawn up the Christmas story. It was stapled together in this little book for show and tell back in fourth grade. All the other kids had gotten up and they had read their stories and the books that they had made and the teacher led us all in applause each child would get to go and pick out their silver star that they would use later to cash in for a prize at the, the classroom store. And finally, it was my turn. So I, I stood up and I opened the first page and I began reading my book. I still remember the story was called For God So Loved the World. And just about the time that my nerves wore off and I was getting in the groove, I'll never forget the teacher said, Ryan, 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 um, it's okay if you just want to share the pictures. She said, we really shouldn't read that, okay? It's okay. Why don't you just share the pictures and explain the pictures? And I still remember the kick to my stomach. I remember being confused. I mean, all my friends got to get up and share their stories. Why can't I share mine? I was far too young to understand the politics of the separation of church and state. And the next time someone asked me to share my faith, I'll admit I wasn't so sure. And I think regardless of the reason, we've all felt uneasy in a room before, right? Everyone fears that moment of exposure. We, we've all felt out of place at one time or another. 
We've all had that misfit perspective in a room. Maybe it was the corporate Christmas party last week where you weren't really sure if you belonged because you were with your spouse and you didn't know anyone. Or maybe it was the family gathering with the in-laws and you didn't really fit the mold of the family. Or maybe, maybe it was that awkward board meeting or, or parent-teacher conference. We've all been there. And everyone's got their own coping mechanisms too, right? Some of us are brilliant chameleons. We can work a room like it's nobody's business and flip the switch on and turn off at the end of the night. And others of us, we get really quiet so as to guard ourselves. We, we let others do the talking so that maybe we'll disappear. But what about when it comes to our faith? Are, are we willing to be that person in the room who becomes the outcast? Who by our faith will automatically not fit the Christmas mold. And when they saw it, they made it known. You have to wonder, and I'm just guessing here, but, but did the shepherds really realize how out of place they looked? Like, have you ever thought about this? How do strangers show up in the labor and delivery room? How does that work? And do you think they had the self-awareness to understand that no one would find their story credible? Did they know the reputation that they were walking into the room with that came with their livelihood? We're not told their inner dialogue, but here's what I love about the Christmas story. Um, it seems to me that the shepherds didn't care. There's no thought about what people might think. There's, there's no discussion among them of why me, Lord. There's no hesitation because we might be exposed and people may think we're crazy. I mean, think for a minute about their message. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying glory to God in the highest. It reminds me of those astronauts gazing at the lunar sunrise. But at least they had context and they had academics to explain what their eyes were seeing. At least astronauts had the credibility and the standing. How do you as a shepherd explain a night sky lit up with angelic choirs? I mean, heaven had literally just come down. But they don't care. The world has to know. And look at what God does through these men's faithfulness. Look at this in Luke 2.18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The Greek word for, for wonder, it means shocked or astonished. It's not a negative thing, it's a positive thing, as if God's working through this ordinary witness and testimony, and by the Holy Spirit, people are, are coming to believe and marvel at what they're seeing. See, I think it's not just that God was in the business of, bringing the, of humbling the wise with foolishness and using the weak to shame the strong. God was about to take a culture's entire concept of the idea of shepherd and transform it so much so that soon Jesus himself would own the title. Mark 6, 34, then Jesus saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. John 10, 11, Jesus says it loud and clear for everyone to hear, I am the good shepherd, the shepherd lays down his life. Maybe an inverse picture might help us. A picture a homeless woman who's walking down the street, let's say the streets of downtown Bozeman, and she notices a party taking place at the city hall. Places packed with people dressed fancy as all get out. And then she looks up and she sees a fire raging out of the second floor window. Would she not go screaming into the building to tell the masses of what's to come? 
I mean, does it really matter in that moment if people believe her or not? If people see her as a credible witness or crazy? Does, does it matter whether she's uh, believable? Look at this in Luke 2.10. The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you news of great joy that will be for all the people. The world has to know. Our friends have to know. Our coworkers have to know. Our, our children have to know. Our neighbors have to know. Our enemies have to know. It can't just be a one-time witness or a thanks for the gift of Christmas, Jesus. For, for followers of Christ, this is a mandate. It is a lifestyle. Briefly, as we wrap up this morning, I want to look at what that lifestyle might look like. Just think about this with me. What if the antidote to those doubts was a rhythm of a week that simply looked like this? Worship, witness, worship. Worship, witness, worship. Look at this rhythm of, of, the, uh, of the shepherds. First, they become aware of the glory of God. Scripture says the glory of the Lord shone around them and worship breaks out. They were filled with a great fear. They knew they were standing before the Lord. And in that worshipful moment, moment, they make haste to go find Christ. And when they see what God has done and they come to the stable, they can't help but tell someone, which is witness. Luke 2.17 says, they made known the saying that was given them concerning the child, which leads back to worship. They return, our scripture says, glorifying and praising God for what they had heard and seen. Worship, witness, worship. It's why we gather on Sundays. It's why we don't stay put in this place, but we go back out in the world to first gather and praise God for what he did last week, but then with expectations about what he will do this week. Here's what I'm trying to say. Let me just summarize it like this. Um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to share the good news. There are people who have heard it before, people who reject us for it, people who will find our credibility pretty, pretty lame, maybe even shameful. But friends, we're called to share it. The Christmas story is not a seasonal thing. It's a year-long thing. Who will you tell this week? Let me pray for us. God, would you take our ordinary witness, Lord, of what you've done in each of our lives, but also in the life of this body and this church through the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of Christ, God, and would you just give us the words to speak that would testify to your goodness. God, we ask that you would just help us to know that you are enough, Lord, that we don't have to be someone famous, we don't have to be someone perfect. We don't have to be someone that has all the stories put together, Lord. We just need to share what we've received, Lord. God, would you help us this week not to keep Christmas to ourselves, but to tell someone, maybe someone who's heard a thousand times, one more time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.